You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Basil Marin. Dr. Marin holds a bachelor's degree in business administration from Eastern Mennonite University and a master's degree in special education from Liberty University. Dr. Marin also holds an educational specialist degree in pre-K through 12 administration and supervision from Old Dominion University. Additionally, Dr. Marin recently received his PhD in educational leadership from Old Dominion University. Now, Dr. Marin is a humble and down-to-earth individual who is passionate about creating opportunities for all students to succeed in education. He has a strong desire to work with at-risk youth. He firmly believes these students are our future and he is willing to provide the necessary support to see all these students succeed. These students are regular human beings just like anyone else. However, these students have limited academic skill sets or untamed frustrations that often disrupt their learning process. He feels that God has given them the passion to work with at-risk youth and to show them that through education, anything is possible. Dr. Marin and I get so deep into some great conversations in this interview that there will be a part one and we will follow up with the part two on the next episode. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super pumped today to finally get a chance to meet my man, Basil. Welcome to the show, Basil. How are you doing, Kevin? Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. So, hey, guys, before we get started, just like every episode, we want to do connections before content. We do that in the GTKY Flip 5 format. So I'm going to ask Basil five questions, and he's going to flip five back at me. And then we'll kind of get a chance to know each other before we jump into today's content. So, Basil, one simple question. If you weren't in education, what would you be doing? What would be a career you imagine doing other outside of education? One of my first, I guess, jobs was Boys and Girls Club. So I thought I was going to be a CEO of a Boys and Girls Club back at home and just really connect with kids. And I would have still been in, ed- in education in a sense with working with children, um, but maybe not in the classroom or, or in the hallway, but it's still working with kids. So I'm probably a CEO of a, boys, of a Boys and Girls Club. I love it. All right. So, you know, they always say when you start the day, you win the day. So what? how do you start your days, Basil? Do you have a routine or are you just one of those guys that just kind of, whatever day brings you, it brings you? I don't necessarily have like a routine routine, but I definitely get up. I definitely have my time with God. And then from there, it kind of is just like, you know, I have my agenda in terms of looking at my email, kind of just getting a heads up of what I have from, from my job as being an administrator. Uh, we kind of spoke about it before the show. It's always ever evolving. So I kind of <laughs> want to know kind of what kind of day I'm, I'm stepping into, right? Um, and then most of the time, just pretty good day. Um, and then from there, just kind of, you know, get ready for the day, brother, and just continue to stay positive, especially right now with COVID, man. It's, oh. it's, it's so hard to, to start the day positive, but you have to. Absolutely. I think that mindset, the first thing you start in the morning can d- dictate kind of just at least how your day starts and That's not right. how it ends, but great answer. All right. Hey, next one is what takes up too much of your time? So in other words, thinking about it, what is something, it could be something that is uh, a habit, it's something, but what's something when you reflect, you're like, dang, that takes up way too much time of my time that you wish that you wish it didn't. Oh man. You have a guilty I, pleasure? 
I'm about to say messing with Instagram, man. I <laughs> you kind of go through Instagram or you mess with TikTok and you realize, you know, you said you were going to there for two or three minutes. All of a sudden, it's like 30 minutes later, you've watched like four or five episodes and laughed and like, I'm like, I got to get back to work. So sometimes I can be, I, I get caught up in Instagram life. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. You, you like get drawn into it. Right. And yeah, you just scrolling yeah. and scrolling. And before you know, like you said, you're like, holy cow, I'm with you. And that's why I really don't do a whole lot of TikTok, TikTok or Instagram. And like you said, or whether Facebook, I mean, I try to limit my time, but like you said, once you get drawn into it's, it's hard to escape until you realize, or in something clicks, like it's, 10 o'clock at night or the alarm goes off or <laughs> something's going on. All right. Question number three. If, what if you had a movie title, what movie title would describe kind of your life? Oh man. I know this stuff. You can even make up a title, but in other words, what would be a title that would describe Basil's life? If we were going to put a movie around you. Making it to the other side of the tracks, but also giving back. Okay. I like that. That's a really good one. Okay. I like, I can see how that works. All right. So is there a favorite in education, book, resource, website, something that you kind of lean into more than something else that our, our, that our listeners could take away? One of the books I always come back to each year, um, one of my favorite speakers is Manny Scott. He just speaks with so much conviction. And um, his book, Even on Your Worst Day, You Could Be a Child's Best Hope. I read that book every summer because it just reminds you of the impact you can have in a child's life. And, and that's I know we'll, we'll talk about relationships that, I mean, clearly is in the title of your podcast, but we're going to get back to that. But I know if it wasn't for the relationships of, of educators believing in me, if it wasn't for the relationships of educators, seeing beyond what I was showing them every day in class, seeing the full potential I could have, I would not be who I am today. So I definitely have to remind teachers daily of that, remind myself, especially when you're working with the most difficult or, you know, historically marginalized kids. Mm -hmm. It's difficult, brother. It's hard. Um, Absolutely. It takes a toll on you. Well, it's so funny you said that, and this is no joke. I literally just emailed Manny yesterday to be on the show. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'll get a response or not. You know, he, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's up there. He's probably in, you know, when you say you have a top 25, he's easily going to make that top 25. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's so funny you said that because I've heard him speak in person multiple times. Mm -hmm. And I haven't read the book, but now that you say that, now I'm interested in grabbing the book. But yeah, I was like, man, he's on my Facebook. I just see his post. I see his message. And it just resonates with you know, everybody, but particularly with your story and my story, it really resonates. And so that's so funny. I literally just hit send on an email yesterday to Mandy Scott to say, hey, I'd love to have you on the show. Is that possible? And so we'll see what happens, man. That would be fantastic if I could get him on the show, man. I might reach out to him and give a plug about you. So you got to be on Kevin's show. Well, I was about to say, I was going to say, so anything that you could do to push him in my direction, even think, even to open up my email would be, be, be much gracious. So my last question will be kind of selfish. So besides Manny Scott, Basil, if you got to host my show, the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, who would you want to be a guest on here? Like, who would be one of those like, man, I got this podcast to talk about relationships and education. Who are you going to bring on the show? I think I'd want to bring on John King, Dr. John King, former Secretary of Education. Okay. Um, just because he, he's, he's had so much opportunity to uh reform policy reform educational structures i would love to hear his philosophy on on relationships and how that streamlines into the policies of different things because i believe i've never heard him say it but i believe he has a huge heart for like sel if you really asked him and i, I felt like that kind of was a little bit of a swagger where he would speak to that i would want to hear more about that and how, how that's affected education okay i think you've encouraged a second email to go out to somebody to to try to get them on the show brother <laughs> So, all right, man. Hey, that was my five. So you can flip five back at me, whatever you got. 
Let's just have a great conversation. Get to know me. Absolutely. Um, I always say say a car tells a lot about a person. So if you could have the car, the car of your dreams, what would would that be? It would be a truck, actually. A truck, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, And I will tell you, it's almost sitting in my driveway right now. I just purchased in the middle of pandemic a... 2015, uh, 2019 F-250. It's uh, got a six-inch body lift, 37-inch tires. It's a Black Widow package. And so it's got a little extra. It's kind of a tuned-up truck. But yeah, man, I, I've been in Texas my whole life, and trucks have just pretty much been. But yeah, yeah. man, that just a really nice decked-out truck, but that can perform, you know, and and at this point with gas prices, a diesel for me. Um, <laughs> get, get, get better gas mileage. That's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. See, so I like that. If you could have any magic power or ability in the world, in, in the world, what would that mm-hmm. be? To fly. fly. Yeah, man. I like, I know people would say, oh, I want to like transition back in time or whatever. I'm just like, I just want to fly. So if I could be fly over there, fly over here, fly. I don't know. I just think that would be so cool. Almost like Superman in itself, just to be able to fly. I like that. I like that. I think I, I join you with that. <laughs> what is one thing you're incredibly proud of um, that you've accomplished in your life? Great question. I look back in the many, when I say many, M-I-N-I, the small little things that you've accomplished. There's some big, some big moments, but I think it's going to sound crazy. It wasn't publishing a book. It wasn't creating the business. Here's the deal. I do trainings. I don't do a whole lot of keynote speaking. To me, keynote is is like a Manny Scott. I mean, I have a story, but I think like, I believe I still have to work on keynoting, but I'm really good at my forte is my curriculum. I write it. Right. Right. But I got asked to do a keynote last year for a district and I was very nervous and I did it. And I had some people come up to me at the end. And this lady came up based on all she did was put a piece of paper in my front pocket. And she Mm -hmm. said, thank you for today and walked off. And then I I forgot all about it. And then when we sat down at lunch, I kind of, I was like, oh yeah. And I pulled it out and she said, best convocation I've had in 27 years. Mm. And I was just like, because I was so nervous and it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. I was really proud of myself that day. Like just sort of the fact that somebody, you know, in in a lot of PDs and stuff like that. Yeah. We, you know, if it's Manny Scott, I want to definitely wait around. I don't see many people waiting around for Kevin Curtis. And so it was just one of those things like for her to come up there, write that note. And just bring up there, man, it was it was really one of the most proudest moments I've had just for the fact that I, not only did I get over my fear, I did it, but that she, that she felt it was successful. That gave me more confidence and realized I, I think I can do keynotes. I just have to prepare mentally for them. That's right. Okay. I like that. I like that. Who was your most in, impactful teacher? I did a solo episode. It was Debbie Bagby. She was my elementary teacher. And I did a shout out to her. Like she, I don't think she realized when she gave me an opportunity to go work with students in lower grade levels, if I finished my work accurately and in, 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 in early, she gave me the, she planted like the teaching seed in me to where I was like, is this what it's like to be a teacher? And she was like, yes. <laughs> so like, I just like, oh my God, like to help other students be successful. I just kind of caught that bug early and that seed was planted. And then, you know, you have people like you know, coaches and teachers, other teachers, but I always give credit to Ms. Bagby for really just planting that first teacher seed in me to let me feel what it felt like to be a teacher and be successful with other students. Okay. All right. Shout out to Ms. Bagby. And then my last question to you is, is there someone that you really admire, rather, rather, again, it could have been in your lifetime or someone you'd admire just learning mm-hmm. about growing up that you wish you could, uh, if they could come back to life, you wish you could have a conversation with them? 
Ooh, pick their brain about what they've done to to impact you or why they did a certain decision, um, but to have a conversation with them. Oh my gosh. There's probably many people, but for whatever reason, Basil, I'm an Elvis fan. I want Elvis. I, I cannot tell you when people said, if you could have dinner with anybody, I'm like, Elvis. Like, I don't know what it was. And it's crazy. I'm, I was born in 69. He was already a hit before I was there. You know, he was right. on his decline in the 70s. But right. but no, man, Elvis is just, do you look back at the what those individuals as stars went through and uh, not making excuses for their habits or their behavior, but I would really love to just pick his brain and talk to him about his life and losing his brother in early childhood and what that felt like and just all these different things. Man, I don't know, man. For whatever reason, Elvis Presley. <laughs> okay, I, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, guys. Hey, man, that was the GTKY Connections Before Content part of the show. So, hey, if you're wanting to know more about GTKY questions or if you want to join our weekly circles with Denise, Circle, uh, Circle Mama Holiday, Jump over to our website at RCL first. That's RCLFIRST.com. Click on the links and then you can be able to join us. Oh, and one more link. We are adding a brand new call to action. We are actually starting a relationship-centered learning Facebook group. And so that will also be a link up there, up in the corner, up in there in orange in the right corner. So if you want to join our Facebook group, head over to RCLfirst.com. All right, now that we got that part out of the way, Basil, just, just to do a quick introduction so the people have an idea of who you are and what you're about so that we can kind of dive into some conversations surrounding that. All right. So, so again, thanks for having me on the show, Kevin. I am Dr. Basil Moran. Um, I'm currently an assistant principal in Atlanta, Georgia area. I've just been here for two years. This is my fourth year um, being an AP. I am a national speaker. Um, I am right, currently right now the president of the EL, the Emerging Leader ASD affiliate. I'm also very big into uh, the African-American commission work going back home in Virginia with the current governor, uh, Governor Northam. So just doing a lot of work with that as well. Um, but the biggest thing I want people to know about me is I'm a disruptor of a status quo. I feel my, my calling, my gift, the, 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 the pur- purpose right now for my life is to disrupt these areas where we're not giving kids what they need. We're not giving them access. We're not believing. We're lowering expectations for kids. Um, and we're not giving them what they fully need to be able to be successful. And, and, and I do see a big, I'm glad to be on the show because a big thing I see lacking in education, um, Kevin, is the relationship piece. I see educators who don't even like kids who are <laughs> in education. And, you know, they're the people that on Halloween night, they don't want to be bothered. They got the lights off in the back of the house and you're in education. Like, why are you like, you're doing everybody a disservice by, by being in that spot. Absolutely, man. So so before we really jump into that part of education, man, as I've gotten to know you, and that's what I tell people, man, one positive that has come out of this pandemic is my professional learning network has just grown tremendously. And shout out to Hal Bowman for starting the Men in Education Group, um, but giving us opportunities to learn about each other. So when I heard your testimony that day, when somebody passed the torch to you, and you kind of just let people know, you know, I've let people know my story on the show. I'd love for people to kind of, let's start from the beginning and then we'll kind of jump into that. But I want, uh, as you said, that overcoming piece that you talked about, kind of the title of the movie, you know? Yeah. So so can you give us just a, a synopsis of what I was, what I'm referring to so people get a chance to know what you've had to overcome in your life to help you be successful? Absolutely. So just kind of a short, <laughs> short version of my life. Uh, both of my parents are immigrants to America. They're both from the country of Belize. They got married very young and they moved to California. I was born in Los Angeles, California. And, you know, again, if you've been there not in downtown Los Angeles, 
you know that there's a lot of gang activity, a lot of violence. My aunt, my dad's sister was killed in a drive-by. My mother saw someone killed from the church, you know, washing dishes. There's a window right there in front of you, got got um, shot uh, dead black in her face um, because, again, a lot of gang initiations was, was to kill an innocent uh, bystander to be in a gang. So that was kind of some of the environment I grew up in. And, and uh, I didn't realize, I guess, all the trauma that they had really caused for me. And so because of that, my dad said, we got to move somewhere that's safer. This is not good for our family. We moved across the United States to Virginia. And it's funny, we moved to Harrisburg, which is actually the friendly city. It's actually what it's called. <laughs> so uh, we moved across the city. And I guess I didn't realize, um, you know, coming to Virginia, again, all the deficits educationally, but also just mindset-wise and the trauma that I had brought with me. And so being in second grade, I was reading on the kindergarten reading level. And so the thing about Virginia is or a lot of places where they're doing great education, they'll provide you those resources and interventions. So I was being pulled out of class all the time for reading specialists or a speech, a speech pathologists um, and just a lot of these different things to help me to do better. But for a lot of, you know, I'll be honest with you, a lot of students of color, that's embarrassing. Um, you, you feel like you're being excluded from the class and then other kids, you know, is that kid slow? Why is he always getting pulled out? And you start to feel embarrassed by that. So a lot of my behaviors started to come because of being feeling, feeling like I was different or feeling like people were making fun of me and I wasn't I wasn't as smart as someone in the class. And then, you know, you get, you get set in these meetings where they tell you all the things you can't do. You know, Basil can't read and Basil struggling on this. And you just hear all this negativity all the time. And a kid starts to own that when you hear that all the time you sit in the hour meeting and hear nothing good. Um, right. And your parent looks at you like, OK, you need to get it together because they're embarrassed. Right. Of being in this mm -hmm. meeting. So a lot of times my behaviors in class, I you know, run out of class or curse at teachers and different things because I wanted to get out of, out of the classroom. I used to hate the popcorn, you know, where they want somebody to read. You kind of do like the popcorn reading. I used to hate that. So that would be a reason why I don't want to leave the class or just for any, any reason. So because of my behaviors coming up in elementary school and actually middle school, I actually went to two different alternative schools because of my behavior. So again, there's that facade of, you know, you're t you want to be a tough kid. You're around other kids who really are tough. And, and so now you want to seem like you're not soft. And so I got my behaviors got worse. And so in ninth grade, you spoke about your favorite teacher, but in ninth grade, I, I got the opportunity to go back to traditional high school. So I went there and I was in a remedial reading and writing class. Uh, it was a classroom of about 35 uh, black and brown males. Our teachers, white female, blonde hair, blue eyes. And I already knew she had a work cut out for her. I said, yeah, this is going to be a trip, right? But it just, you know, and so what happens is a kid like me who really was soft, you want to seem tough and you're, you're in a, you're in a, a environment where it's all males. So you want to be the alpha male. So you want to show off or do certain things. And so I tried my little behavior things, you know, in the class and Miss um, Sanks and the teacher, she, she would pull me to the side and say, you know, you're from a different cloth. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. And I tell people too, when I speak, like she could have just gave us, you know, a, a book to read, a journal and, and barely moved us, you know, in literacy and increasement and she would have did her job. Like it was it was almost impossible, the class she was given. And I tell people we were put in that class so the rest of the school could have opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. Right. Um and so and so you kind of have that that label that follows you, right? So she worked with me, she cared about me. Um I love Dr. Maya Angelou's quote, it's not what you really say to people, it's how you make them feel. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember how she'd make me feel. She's one of the first teachers that she would she would get me together by what she said. But I knew she cared. And if she called home and, and quote unquote snitched on me for something or whatever, I knew it was because she cared and she wanted it to be handled. So it wouldn't happen again or to keep me on the straight and narrow. 
So eventually, again, I had been, I, I told you all my story about, you know, second grade, barely could read. Now I'm in ninth grade, try, still remedial reading and writing class. And then I, I finally got it together where I'm in a junior year and I passed the SOL that you have to pass to graduate. And I remember she walked past my door and the tears kind of started rolling down my face. And I was like, man, if it wasn't for that teacher, like I wouldn't have passed this SOL, um, standards of learning or, or EOC, whatever you want to call it, the end of the year, uh, you know, test assessment. And so it was then I was like, okay. And let me be clear, Kevin, she was not my favorite teacher when I had her. Right. It wasn't until afterwards I was like, pretty dope. Like she she was she was the truth. Like, okay. Uh, I finished high school. I had a um and I always believed that God gave me a mentor to take me to the next step in whatever journey it was. But mm-hmm. um I had a mentor that was working with my dad um in his church. He's a pastor. So um she she I remember her asking me the summer of my junior year, like was I taking the SAT? And I said, I haven't sat anywhere. What are you talking about? Like what what is that? And again, my parents are not from, you know, the, this country, so America. So they didn't know about the educational system and telling me this is the SAT. If you plan on going to college, this is what you got to do. So she tried to, um, you know, encourage me with that. And so I remember she said, go to go to your counselor tomorrow, get the waiver form to take this, take the test. So I go to the class, uh, go to the, excuse me, counselor. I speak to her about getting this form. And she, I remember her go, going to get the form. And then Kevin, before she handed it to me, she said, you know, Basil, um, kids that aren't going to college, you know, I have a friend that um, that works for McDonald's corporate. He makes six figures. He makes $100,000 a year or more. You know, if you're not planning on going to college, you don't really need this form. And needless to say, that was her last week of work in that job, right? But there, and I know I'm intermingling a lot of different stories, but it's stories of that that reminded me of mm-hmm. how people are gatekeepers, right? Mm-hmm. Teachers, counselors, administrators are gatekeepers to student success, right? And I try to think about if I was a white male walking in class or mm-hmm. her, her her counseling office, would she have said that, right? right? Um, I didn't have the best GPA. I know I had behavioral problems, mm-hmm. but what gave you the right to tell me that I couldn't go to college or if I was not going to, like if I was already doubting, yeah. that clearly had deterred me from like, you know what, you're right. I don't got to do this. You know what's interesting? I don't want to interrupt but here's mm-hmm. what I want to say. As you're describing this, I have this visual and I don't know why, I have you I have you based on a white t-shirt and yeah. every time they say that something it like gets written on the shirt and so before you know it when you look in the mirror right you're like but so sure. that's what you see yeah is all those unfortunate negative perceptions and personas yeah. and limits put on you right yeah. and yeah. so I think of that because unfortunately I know that that's how some educators have spoken whether they've tried to be tactful or not, right? Yeah, they right. don't realize the impact in those yeah. words yeah. are literally placed on us and, and, yeah. and it sinks into us. And eventually, as you said, it, then we're, we have this battle. Yeah. Am, well, am I this? Am right. I, oh, I, didn't mean, I just want to tell you, as you tell your story, that's what I keep seeing is all of these things that describe Basil, right. but from the third party, not and not very encouraging, other than one or two teachers. Oh yeah, and you you like I said earlier, you 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 internalize it. Like I said, you know, I've sat in meetings for years where uh, you know someone will come in or a doctor so so walks in and they're like, yeah, oh we're talking about Basil today. Yeah, here's all his deficits. Like and, and you and and I could memorize, I could tell you what my deficits were, right? Because I heard them all the time. So. Like you, like you said, this mentor is telling me about, hey, let's go, let's let's plant the seed of, let's go to college again. My parents, my my dad has a master's, my mom um, has equivalent. You know, she dropped out of school, so eighth grade education. 
if I would have landed anywhere in that range, it would have been cool. Like my parents weren't pressing me. Again, that's also a mindset where in Belize, where they're from, when you graduate high school, if you graduate, you just start working full time. That's what's being an adult. It's not really education. It's not prioritized like that. Right. So, so yeah, so she was helping me. So uh, Dr. Tally was helping me get, you know, let's take this next step. So um, long story short, I um, went to, I went to Eastern Midnight University or took the SAT, didn't do too well, but uh, <laughs> but took it. Right. And I remember going to, uh, to get get admissions and they um, they like denied me. Right. And so she asked to speak to the president of the school and was like, hey, can we have a one on one? So we spoke with them and he's like, look, look Basil's working in, uh, at the Boys and Girls Club in the community. He's a great kid. I know his dad is a pastor. Can you can you look at this application again and let's see what we can do to get this kid in college? Because. I think he's going to have a, a huge impact on your, not only your campus, but he'll learn and be able to be a contributor to society. So I think this was great. Mm-hmm. So they had the conversation. They looked at my application again and they said, okay, we'll give him um, conditional admittance, right? Mm-hmm. So 13 credits is what I could take that semester. I think I got a 3.3 GPA and they're like, all right, you're good. And it was, it was, that was, that was it. Yes. After undergrad, I had a mentor who, again, was talking to me about, you ever had a friend that's always working on degrees? Oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe I'm that person for somebody, but. but. <laughs> no, it's so funny. He just texted me. I looked down at my phone. He just texted me. I mean, that's why I, I said, are you on the lifetime plan for school? Are you just, like, I said, you realize, and I told him this, I joked with him. I said, you realize if you pass on, right. your student debt goes to your family. Yeah. Like, you, right. you know, that's you right. can't just, you can't just keep going to school and like outlive student debt. It's going to, it's right. going to, it's going to take you to your grave and then stay with your family yes right. i have one of those friends okay I, I might be there for certain people so, so I, <laughs> I laugh as i was saying it but i had a, 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 one of my other mentors dp he um we were doing a basketball clinic and so i was asking him about the degree or whatever uh, credential he was working on and he said a master's in special education uh, and what was funny was during that time i was working as director of boys and girls club and then i was working during the day at an alternative school as a paraprofessional so I was working with one kid per day who um, a bigger kid, autistic, um, nonverbal, but just making sure he didn't like, you know, he did well educationally, but didn't like fight anybody throughout mm-hmm. the day. Right. So um, that, I was working with him. And so he was telling me, like, you know, you, you should go get a master's in special education. And I and remind you, no one had really explained to me that when you got a math, I thought a master's had to be in sequence of what your undergrad was in. So oh, I, thought okay. I, I thought I had to get my undergrad is business. Right. So business right. administration. It was nothing to do with education. And I, I do got to say something really quick. Dr. Green, my professor in one of those courses, every presentation we did, I did it on Boys and Girls Club, YMCA. I think I even did one on Vacation Bible School, uh, financials. And and one day he stopped me my, my sophomore year and said, Basil, why? he said, I got to ask you, why are you not in a program for education or to be a counselor or to be a teacher? Because everything you do is about kids. Like, this is a business program. And I'm like, I know, but I want, you know, I said, I want to do this. But that's where my heart's at. He said, well, I think you should look at education. And I said, Dr. Green, I, I can't do that. He said, well, why? He, I said, those edu- those those um careers don't pay. And he said, okay. He said, well, what I'm going to tell you, he said, okay, I, I concur. He said, but what I'll tell you is education is a calling. You're going to come back to it. And I yeah. said, okay. I kind of laughed it off and said, well, you pay for my degrees, I guess. We'll, we'll, we'll see, right? <laughs> But what I'll tell you is, so, so that I, that was my that was yeah my undergrad degree. But I thought so again. I thought I had to get an MBA because my undergrad was business, right? Right. So DP was talking to me one day. He's like, "You should get a master's of special ed," and I'm like, "A master's of special ed?" And I and again, I was naive. I thought you know when you're working with special ed kids, they're the kids you know had the helmets and the wheelchairs. And I said, "Listen," I said, "That takes a special person." I said, "That ain't me." 
I said, so I'm okay. He said, no, the same knuckleheads you speak life to at the Boys and Girls Club and they're chasing these girls around or the kids you're working with. They're probably identified mostly as special ed, right? Right, right. He (laughs) said, those are the kids. They're like ED. Then I said, Mm -hmm. he said, you know Vic? And I said, yeah, I know Vic. He said, the one you always cussing out? I said, yeah. He said, he's ED. He's special ed. I said, oh, yeah. I know how to work with Vic. He said, but everybody else can't work with Vic. Amen. Well said. And I and I said, wow. I said, he said, so you have a you should use that gift in the classroom. So long story short, started working on my master's in special education, did that, and then again, really felt like a a, a calling on my life for leadership, got an EDS in administration. And then during that same time, so at that point, I'm thinking, okay, you couldn't tell me anything, Kevin. I got my EDS, the better than my parents, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm good. And then I had another mentor, uh, Dr. Adam Brown, who's like, all right, babe, it's time for the PhD. And I'm like, Nah, I'm good. I'm okay. But I'm I'm gonna go back to something you just said, uh, Kevin. Go back to that white shirt you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I've heard my whole life things I can't do. I've had my counselor tell me non college might not should might not even be an option for you. I've made it through my master's programs and th- different things, but you still have the internal mindset of I can't do that, yes. right? And you know, as you get to these graduate programs, it's legit reading and writing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> something I struggled with my whole life, right. and so. I would say the labels and different things really deterred me of I, I, I wasn't worthy of, a, of going to get a PhD, right? Mm-hmm. And so I struggled with that for a long time. And he 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 worked with me, said, All right, Basil, when you're ready, have the other mentors feel like Basil, it's time, it's time to get that done. And so I got into the the um the ODU program, uh, East uh, Old Dominion University, the same semester I started my started as assistant principal, right? So it all happened at the same time. Gotcha. A lot of learning. But what I'll tell you is is that through going through that process. I learned that my words do matter and, mm. my, and that I am able to impact the field. And I and that my voice, what I believe stands on education does have a place. Mm. Um, and so I never would have thought that, you know, even as I was doing my dissertation, I was, I was doing my, my my defense, you know, at the very end when my chair said, they I, I gave my presentation and then he said, you know, um, Basil, I want to be the first to tell you that we're going to accept your dissertation as is. I cried. Everything I've ever written has always been is not enough. And then get to dissertation and they say, you're good. This is what we want. Well, that first of all, wow, man. First of all, congratulations. I am in awe of, of those of you that go down that route and go through, as you said, the reading and writing and particularly doing it while you're working full time. I mean, like in the sidebar, I was working on a second master's in Christian ministry. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor while I took that job at Ed White, the middle school we were talking about earlier. So first semester, I'm taking on this brand new job at one of the most difficult campuses in this entire district while writing 25 page papers per per class. And so I, (laughs) it was interesting because I was like, I took uh, two semesters, a whole year. And then I just like, I was telling God, like, this is, this is like, this is a lot. And so it was, I, I walked away from it. But what's interesting is, is the reason I say this is, because I didn't quite understand when I took Old Testament, New Testament, disciple classes and all those yeah. other things, I didn't realize how he was really setting me up for this work. Because yeah. coming into school and really, you know, preaching the good news, which is which is like, hey, what about rest, reparation and, rest, and restorative? And, you know, right. and they're like, mm, get out of here. So yeah. there was some, God knew exactly what he was doing. But yeah. I'll go back to what I was going to ask you. So like you said, when you felt emotional, what I wanted to ask you before that was, so now that you've gotten that that threshold, you've crossed the threshold of doctorate, right? And you've been more than successful than these people have ever thought. 
And I'm going to ask you a really vulnerable question. Do you ever feel yourself slipping? And I guess looking back at that shirt sometimes, I'm just asking, honestly, have you ever like, are there times when you, when you do catch yourself doubting yourself or putting those limits back on yourself? Yeah. So what's funny is in the book that Jeff Kupiak has done, it's me, right? I know we'll talk about that at some point, but yeah, we can talk about it now. It, it, the picture is actually, it's actually me on a stage. Um, I'm speaking and there's two Department of Education seals beside me. But the quote that's coming out of my head is, will I ever be enough? Mm. Right. Right. And the, the thing is, I, I wrote in the actual words that there's times I know I have to work twice as hard just as a black male just to be seen and recognized. Yes, sir. Right? And that Agreed. in itself is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Right. To know that I have to do that and to be seen, to be recognized, to even be acknowledged. And so even as Dr. Moran, there's still those moments, believe me, where I'm like, man, am I, am I, am I still enough even now? Like, right. And does that, does that even matter in, in, in the, the world of society and, and how we look at things, but then you, you see the impact you have on people, right. You see the impact that you have on a school building, you see the impact you have on people's lives. And th- and those are the, the, the vindication moments. Those are affi- affirmation moments that I am enough and that my words do matter and my impact on people matter. But oh, but definitely there are times, Kevin, where you, you, the shirt still is in, is in the is, is in, yeah, I'm still wearing it, right? You yeah. just put a different shirt on top of it. That may be like a different dress shirt, but that undershirt still has those labels on it yeah. because that's the way people look at you. That's the way people perceive you. Um, it's hard to like. I, I was let, let me give you an example. Okay, please. I have um, a program called My School Sons at, at my school that I founded, and it really takes mentorship, mentorship to a whole nother level because. I know a lot of the a lot of schools have men of excellence and all that, but there are a lot of historically marginalized black and brown males who don't have a positive black male figure in their life. They just don't, mm-hmm. right? And so the reason why we see so high gang activity for for black males or Hispanic males is because they want to be a part of something that that they can feel respected and feel like someone cares about me, right? Mm-hmm. And so one day, um, one of my sons was in my office, and I went out to the main desk to do something, and I came back. And he said, he said something to me that, that shook me to my core. He said, Mr. Moran, I, I didn't have my doctor at the time. He said, Mr. Moran, I want to learn how to act white like you. As so I just looked at him, I said, what do you, you want to learn how to act white like me? I said, what does that mean? He says, you wear your suit, you go up front, you talk to people. He said, it could be a parent that's hotter than a firecracker. You just calm them right on down. And he's like, and you just, you're so professional and you work with them. He's like, and, and I want to learn how to act white. And I said, son, that's not acting white. That's being professional, right? I said, I said, I said, I get what you're saying. I said, you're going to have to learn how to double Dutch in the world, mm. right? I said, I can be speaking to you right here and I'm speaking slang. And then the superintendent walks by and my whole vernacular is going to change. What's vernacular? My speech is going to change. Oh, switch I'm going to speak to the end. <laughs> right. And so I thought I had to tell him. I said, you're going to have to learn how to do that. I said, mm-hmm. because you're living in a world that only sees you as a negative. But you can also learn how to how to be professional, how to handle yourself, and how to be able to do that. And when you do that that professionalism, people will look at you a different light and say, "Oh, okay, he's different." Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. That's not right. But no. that shook me to my core, Kevin. When he asked me, oh. he told me, "I want to learn how to act white." I said, "What does that mean?" But I I knew what he was asking me later on. I said, "Wow, yeah." And so, and some kids don't have that role model to be able to do that, right? Yeah, to be able to make it. That's why I said you said a movie. Literally, I said I made it to the other side of the tracks and now I'm reaching back yeah. because it feels like it's the other side of the tracks. No, man. And it's so funny 
not funny, but ironic, but you say it shook you to the core because working at, at Ed White Middle School until I was actually introduced to the term uh, school to prison pipeline, mm. until I was actually educated, particularly on how the black and brown students are three to times more, more nine to times more likely to be involved with the juvenile justice system, to be more excluded. All the, until those numbers and that reality really hit me in the face. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized, okay, and once I was practicing this restorative practice approach, right? And we were not using exclusionary consequences, but we were using conversations and accountability and I was seeing growth, but I was also like hearing some things that I would never have heard before. Not like that statement, but they were like, so Mr. Curtis, what is it like to, you know, how much do you make? You know, when, and what, what is, you know, how questions about life and things. And I started to realize like, I am in a mentor role for them, despite the difference in our color. But I will tell you, I think I've said this, like what pushed me out of education was realizing I was a cog in a wheel of a systemic approach that was that was pushing our black and brown students to the side or, or yeah. down or however you want to approach it. And I said, oh my God, that's yeah. me. I'm part of the problem. And so as you said, I I had to cross the tracks. I left education. I left, I always I left the box. The yeah. box is education. The box tells you, like you said, you got to take the SAT, you got to yeah. do this. The right. box has the box has been around for so long, yeah. but I left the box and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, but I got to be a difference writer, a disruptor and a difference maker, much like you cut from the same cloth. And I said, because I can no longer sit behind my desk every day right. knowing that I'm failing. And you got to think about 80% of my campus was black or brown. Mm -hmm. So how in the hell am I going to help that campus be successful? And I'm not knocking on it when the district leadership sees our box, AKA our campus, just like the one that's outside the other side, outside the loop that has millions of dollar homes and yep. predominantly not minority. Like they were treating us all the boxes that were the same. Basil, the only reason I was able to be successful at my principal job in a small rural school that I was telling you that I commuted to was because I was the only middle school. So I didn't have to be like anybody else. I literally had four bell schedules. We were having clubs and activities. We were doing interventions. We were doing so many things because I got to do whatever I needed to do to meet my students' needs. Right. But when you start telling me my kids, my school needs to look like theirs, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. my kids don't look like theirs. That's right. that's and that's right. what I, like you said, I started looking at the faculty. I'm like, have we recognized? Because I'm sorry, I'm on a little quick tangent here. I know, I know, I know, I know you're on the show, but hold on one second. No, 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 because no, no, no. So John Bonham is a really good friend of mine. We went to high school together, African-American gentleman. He's two years older than I am. But when I got, I was, he was one of my teachers and I was the assistant principal. So I was his boss on paper, right? But he would make statements like this, Kevin. He would say, when we would hire new teachers, he would say, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're putting more cream in the coffee, huh? And I would just be like, John, you know, like, and, but I never really truly understood that until all of, but I'm saying until all of this work came to me and then these epiphanies and these light bulbs came on. So when you were shaken to the core, I was, I tell them I wasn't shaken. I was, I was slowly transformed. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you peeled back one layer at a time. And then I saw mm -hmm. more. And what's interesting, I saw more about the system, but then I saw more about me. Mm -hmm. I'm a nose to nose kind of toes to toes. I'm that football coach. I'm that disciplinarian. I'm that person. 
And what I started realizing, like, that's less effective the more we get into the 2000s, you know, like, and so I tell them sometimes we're stuck with the 1990 playbook Mm. in 2020, right? We're using the same plays and we're calling the same. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? So when people say, how did you flip? I tell them I didn't flip, I transformed. And I just started calling new plays. Mm. So when I say that, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Ooh, that's a lot to unpack right there, Kevin. Sorry so, about that. That was no, no, no. no. <laughs> so, so I love it. So it gets me fired up. So I'm gonna go back to a point you just made. Education okay. is a box. And you're absolutely right. But the thing is, is I'm gonna be honest with you, the box of education was not made in mind of students of color to be successful. I agree with you. Absolutely. So the thing is, who's teaching, who's teaching us how to play the game? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, right? no, I, so, I, so I, I totally see it now. I totally see already, it now. You're already set up from the jump to not be successful, yes. right? And so we talk about the prison, the pipeline that is very real. Mm-hmm. And, and and so let's talk about Virginia really quick, where I, where, I, where I was growing up. Okay. Do you know how they expand jail systems or like create more jail beds or expand wings on their jail system? What data they look at? What's that? Uh, they look at third grade literacy. Okay. Okay, a jail system is a third grade literacy. And if you have a little bit of a stutter or can't read, they're already making a jail cell for you in third grade. And then you don't realize how much money is behind the jail system. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, no, no. So, oh, yeah. No, I saw the movie, but I'm just saying, like, if people. 13? Okay, I won't yeah. say. It. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that's why I try to say it. Like, there's a system in place. It's yeah, unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the system is not, as you said, particularly students of color to help them be successful. Right. And, and, and that's why I'm like, look, if we were ever going to blow the box up, the pandemic is the perfect wow, opportunity wow, to say, wow. Hey, what the hell? It wasn't working before. Well, it was, but it was working for this group. What if black lives matter? What if all of these things rose to the surface so that we could be exposed so that mm-hmm. we could say, wow, we have a deficiency there and a deficiency there and a gap there. Maybe we need to rethink our educational system with a new lens and maybe we need to bring some new stakeholders in and maybe we need to understand all the things that you and I are passionate about and making a change. But like I said, sometimes I just feel like we're, we're falling on deaf ears. Deaf ears. That's that you're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. So, so, so COVID has really disrupted the system that was in place. That's there. Right. So now for me, I was talking to my dear brother, the JT, uh, uh, JT, Taylor about we have an opportunity to rebuild from this, but you have to have the right tools to rebuild the correct way, right? And so what I'll say, what I'll say to you, Kevin, for me as well, is that a lot of times to me, a lot of the inequities that we see comes all comes to one word and it's access. Okay. Access. If if kids have access to what they need, truly mm-hmm. we can do education the right way. Right. Gotcha. That could be access to like right now with COVID, a good working Chromebook, right? Mm-hmm. Access to internet, access to, um, I would say, great quality curriculums, right? Mm-hmm. I'll go back to what I used earlier about being gatekeepers. If we look at, research has talked about how, how kids who are in high level classes, I'll say honors, AP courses, those are the kids that show sustainability over time in terms of going to college, mm-hmm. staying in college, graduating, and having these great lives, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about AP and honors level classes, I can go on a tour across the United States and tell you what a general class, look, class looks like, a special aid class looks like, an AP class, without even knowing what it is. I can just walk in there and tell you what it is. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be able to do that, right? If right. we walk into an AP class, I can assure you, you're going to see one or two, maybe one or two black kids, an Asian kid. You're going to see that, but it, it, it's not, minority is really not there. 
mm-hmm. right? right? And so, you all, and again, what goes with a lot of schools, who are the people who have kind of like the, the trajectory of how that happens is teachers and it's the counselors. Mm-hmm. You got to get the recommendations to have that. If you don't have access or know how to play the game, well right, then, then you can't, you already out back. Yep. Right. And I'm going to go even further beyond that. Kids get trapped. We're mm-hmm. talking about elementary school. A lot of times, the second, third grade, first grade is a lot of times where the child studies are happening for special ed. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of times schools are giving kids those special ed kind of supports. And it's very highly unlikely that once you are special ed, you're going to get tested for gifted. Right. And it's overrepresentation of minority males, minority students in special ed across mm-hmm. the nation. Yes, sir. They're not getting tested for gifted. So you're so kids. We're coming in, you're getting, you're gifted, you're getting tracked from second, third grade, then you're going into middle school, you're on a different type of track, and then all of a sudden, those are the kids who are in the honest level classes of high school. They're being tracked. You're being set up for success. You're right. But a kid who a kid who falls through the, cra- the, the, the cracks or doesn't know how to play the game or their parents don't know how to play the game. There you or, go. Or they have shown, they show signs that, that give the school admonition for the labels that they're mm. putting on them then it just makes a systemic cycle. And that's right? so funny you said that because when I was at the elementary as an assistant principal, it was interesting coming from the high school where you don't really, there's not a whole lot of conversation about GT per se, right? But I do remember being at the elementary and parents fighting, yep. arguing, like you said, those parents advocating for their child. Yep. Have you, yep. I want them GT tested. I want the, yep. which is the flip. You don't have anybody going, you have a small minority saying, I really think my student is special needs. Can we get some, you know, some special needs testing? Right. No, it was so interesting, as you said, because those parents that know how to play the game yeah. want their kids to be on that track. That's right. and, and my second note to that is when I became the middle school principal, as I was telling you, it was interesting because on my master schedule, I was brand new, Basil. So, you know, yeah. you're coming in, you're trying not to change a lot, right? right. But right. I started noticing like there was a thing and they would call them pre-AP classes. Mm-hmm. But as I walked into them, as you said, I'm like, eh, this is bluebirds and redbirds or however you want to bloop, right? And so you're going to laugh, man. I went to my superintendent before the end of the first semester and I said, look, I would like, and I brought my research behind it. I would like to break up these classes and to reassign them. And until my teachers know how to properly teach a pre-AP class at mm-hmm. that level, then we're all just going to be regular. We're not going to offer pre-AP and all this stuff mm-hmm. at the middle school and stuff. So anyways, long story short, she gave me permission. I, I spent the entire Christmas break redoing my master schedule. I bought a software this is my first year as a principal. I do not recommend this to people. So if you're a per- first year principal, <laughs> don't change your master schedule first semester. But I did because my coaching background, if I came in, I'm like, oh, I was a baseball coach and football coach. But if we were baseball, oh, y'all in the first base dugout, we're going to third base dugout, right? Well, oh, we're going to get new uniforms. We'll get, you know, we, we, we want, like you said, we want to look new and feel new, right? right? So it was so funny. And the backlash, Basil, that I received from the parents, they would say, oh, wait, wait, wait. So if it was a pre-AQP, pre, a former pre my kids going to be in with those kids. kids. I was like, Oh really? But it was so interesting after the first year under the current state accountability in Texas, we scored 90% in every single category academically Mm -hmm. and got the first state achievement, you know, for that status, we did everything that the state required us at a 90% higher academically. And so I told him, I said, I'm not bragging. I'm like saying, but to see the success that we can do if we do things right, because again, I had four schedules. There was a lot of things going on, but I do now remember when you say tracking bluebirds, redbirds, pre-AP, not as you said, how many students of color are giving access or the opportunity 
to even not, experience those. I agree with you on that. You're not unless you unless your unless your parents know the game. If your parents know the game, then then of course you kind of know the ins and outs. But if not, that's just that's just backyard conversation you just don't know about, right? Absolutely. Um, and so so you don't know how to advocate. In, in the other words, advocating for your child, right? Well and, said. Yeah. And, and then parents parents know what to do. They know if this isn't changed by the end of the day, I'm calling superintendent tomorrow. Like, yeah. It, it's those type of conversations as well. So then also there's a fear factor that many parents know about. Um, but I, I would tell you, brother, that that for me, even in my work right now, I so I work hard to be the advocate for the voiceless, the kids yes. who don't have the opportunity, as you said, sw- switching the whole schedule up so everyone had mm-hmm. an opportunity to be successful and get the higher level of education um, mm-hmm. in the building. That's what's most important. Um, and you got to, what I will tell you is you got to be intentional about doing that. Yes. Right? You got to be intentional about disrupting, be intentional about how are you going to create pathways of success um, and for sustainability for a school, because it does affect the whole school and it affects a, a pathway. Right. Um, yeah. But you got to be intentional about that. And you got to know how to support um, kids who historically haven't been supported. They need the actual support to help them get that done. So for me, what last thing I'll tell you is yeah. I told I told my dissertation defense committee, if education was being done right, I wouldn't be a unicorn in education. Mm-hmm. Well said. <laughs>